We're going to get started with our Q&A. Um, thank you, everybody who uh, sent sent questions in. We've got we've got some some good ones. So excited to to kind of talk some of some more of these issues through. So first question is uh, is same sex attraction slash temptation a sin? Is same sex attraction slash temptation a sin? You want me to go first? Sure. Um, I think to answer that question, it's helpful. A lot of times when talking about this, people have in mind the passage about Jesus. Is that that Hebrews 4? Hebrews 5? We talked about, yeah, Jesus was tempted in every way like we are, yet was without sin. So from that text, we know that not all temptation is sinful because Jesus was tempted, but Jesus did not sin. Um, but I do think there's a distinction between the kind of temptation, between different kinds of temptation. So what Jesus experienced is what I would call the temptation of opportunity. There's an opportunity to sin, and it was the temptation um, that was external to him. So Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness and tempted him three times, and Jesus uh, re- rejected that temptation three times by quoting scripture. Um, that was a temptation that was external to Jesus. It was what you could call the temptation of opportunity. You all have opportunity to sin. You might even be persuaded or tempted to sin by some external force. That kind of temptation is not sin. But in the book of James, it talks about another kind of temptation, which is probably where you're going. I see you're open to James. There's a kind of temptation that comes from our own corrupted desires. So distorted desires, an unholy desire for something that is unholy, that is in and of itself has a sinful quality to it. Yeah. And Jesus didn't experience that kind of temptation. Mm-hmm. Jesus never had an unholy desire for an unholy thing. And same-sex attraction is a distorted desire, an unholy desire for an unholy thing. And so that's mm-hmm. something that I think calls for a deeper level of repentance and asking God for cleansing even of those desires. Yeah. So that's how I would, I would answer that. Yeah, I mean, if I'm tempted to kill somebody, but I don't do it, I don't think I'm acquitted by by that alone. I mean, the fact that I was willing to even like entertain that that you wanted to kill someone. Yeah. Yeah. So now, and I think the the temptation for uh, same-sex attraction is, I think there's no one size fits all to that. I think sometimes it could be just, I wish I had a body like that person, or I wish that person paid attention. You know what I'm saying? So there's just different levels of it, and I. And I've found people who think that they're same-sex attracted, but when they kind of explain it to me, it's like, well, okay. But I think, I mean, you can, I mean, we can obsess about whether it's sin or not. I think pastorally, you know, just pray that the Lord changes your heart, pursue righteousness, instead of the, is it sin, is it not sin? I mean, just pursue righteousness and set your mind on things above. And and um, just, I, I think that it's just, Pursuing what's ahead of you, leaving what's behind you. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you should do. And if somebody is tempted, and if that is a sin, well, if it is, well, Christ covers it. Yeah. Um, if it's not, well, then I guess don't worry about it. But I think it's just kind of repent and move on and ask God yeah. to change your desires, change your heart. I don't think anyone, um, like if somebody is, you know, minor, a minor attracted individual, right? Um, you know, that's disorder of temptation, too. Maybe they said maybe not, but I would certainly repent of that too. You know what I'm saying? If I'm attracted 
to maybe another person. I mean, it's just, repentance is not something you just do once. It's like, you know, I probably repent a hundred times a day, right? And that's probably underdoing. It's just something we kind of do, move on, and just, that's just what it means to walk yeah. out of it. I think, I think it's important to understand sin is not just things we do. Like, we can reduce sins just to actions. Yeah. But sins are all rooted in the heart. That's why, you know, being angry at someone, Jesus says, is likened to murder. Yeah. Um, because of what's in the heart. Or a lustful thought is parallel with adultery yeah. because it's a sin of the heart. So I think if our disposition is one of making war against sin, like if we're going to battle against sin at every level, that's going to include even going to battle against the desires themselves. We don't want to tolerate certain desires that we know don't honor God. So if we have that disposition of warfare against anything that's unholy or impure, because we're putting all that behind us, seeking to follow Christ, like you're talking about, um, we don't have to figure out all the ins and outs of it. We have to trust Christ and be against our sin and submitted to Christ. That's the key key disposition that I think honors the Lord. What would you say to somebody, and maybe this is a more general question, who would say, I don't want this, Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it's there. Mm-hmm. What would you? Would there be a category for that in what y'all have been saying? I, I think that goes to understanding sin, not just as things we do, but even as I think this word is overused. But that idea of being broken, like there's something wrong with me, and it's not even a choice I've made. There's just something wrong with me because Adam sinned, and I inherited that. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that's beyond the reach of God's grace to change that. It's just something I need to acknowledge this isn't right and it needs to change. And even that, that I have this orientation. I don't even want these desires. But, and I think that's something that glorifies God. When you say, I don't want to want this, that shows your heart is oriented towards God and against your sin. That in and of itself is how you fight the battle. And that honors yeah. Christ. It's kind of switching to race, critical theory, what J.D. was talking about this morning. How do you switch your mindset from one that uh, is, is, thinks along the lines of critical theory to a more biblical mindset? How, how does that happen? I have a couple thoughts. Yeah. I would hammer on what you talked about at the end of your session. Developing a biblical worldview means you have to immerse yourself in the Bible. So for me, one of the things that's been one of the most helpful experiences in, in, in seeing all the errors of that was actually preaching verse by verse through the book of Exodus and wow. preaching through God's law. You see God's law and you just live in that and you go, wow, this is true and this is good. Mm-hmm. You, if you're so familiar with the gospel that the logic of the gospel is just imprinted on your brain, you start having a strong it's like, it's like your immune system is boosted to fight off all of that other stuff. So mm-hmm. just immersing yourself in the story of the Bible, being familiar with God's character, which is really what's revealed in God's law. We're not trying to necessarily memorize all the Jewish laws ex- more than we are just learning. These are the kinds of things that reflect God's character, maybe yeah. even in unique ways in history. But as we come to know God and his character and his law and the gospel yeah. and the story of the Bible, you immerse yourself in that. And, and it starts to change you. That's the renewing of our mind that that um, that Romans 12 talks about. Yeah, and I'll just read the passage, Romans 12, 1 through 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
fully acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So I think there is a sense where, um, like, critical theory is not necessarily a bad thing. Like, like we know the heart is deceptive, right? You know, who can understand it? You know, Paul says, uh, I'm conscious of nothing against myself, but I'm not by this acquitted, right? There's a self-critique and a self-criticism that's there. The problem with critical theory is that um, the epistemology, it starts with this secular way of seeing the world, where it's very cynical, it's very much of, you can't trust anyone, trust these people, of course, they're going to say that. It's all through this lens of power instead of the lens of scripture, right? So in one sense, it's good to try to, you know, have this way of seeing the world where you look beyond the assumptions that are given to you. The problem is that they're rooting it in Marxism and not the Bible. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So the more you know the Bible, the more, I think the more intuitive it's going to be to see, yeah, that's what's going on there. Yeah. Yeah, any, I know, J.D., you and I were talking about resources and how, you know, how, <coughs> how do we become more familiar with critical theory, if some, if some of these students, their appetite was wet mm. to want to learn more, be equipped, what, what would be some resources that you guys would recommend? Yeah. Thaddeus Williams has a good, good book on the topic. Let me see what it is. I think um, just a, an author that I would point you to, Neil Shenvey, has been really helpful for me. I think he's got a book that's come out recently on the topic, but he's also just done a lot of stuff on his website, a lot of stuff through Twitter, where he's done all the hard work of reading all the books on critical theory so that you don't have to, and then giving pretty comprehensive reviews, interacting with the arguments, synthesizing it down, and then just talking about how it relates to the biblical truth. So he's very methodical. Um, I think he's like a PhD chemist or something, so he's got that very analytical brain and he just goes through it all. So a lot of his work has been helpful, yeah. and he'll he'll sort and cite a lot, sort and cite, source and cite a lot of other people too. So he's been a helpful resource for me. Yeah, Neil Shenvi, S H E N V I Shenvi. So I think Shenvi Apologetics is his website. He's got a lot of stuff on there, where he'll give you like a long review of how to be an anti-racist or white fragility, and he'll synthesize the arguments tell you the history of where those ideas came from, yeah. point out problems with it, it's been helpful. Yeah, there's a book by Thaddeus Williams called Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth. Yeah. So Thaddeus, did you like that book? It's a good one, yeah. Yeah, Thaddeus Williams, Confronting Injustice Without Compromising Truth is a very readable one and I, I thought it was pretty helpful and he was pretty much right on. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I would encourage all of you, once these recordings are out, go back and listen to JD's session it that was an incredible summary of like all of what neil shenby has studied and all the all the material out there is really really good summary okay we're going to take a hard right turn here to a, okay. something completely different okay. so relationships Ooh. relationships i know this is a little how bit how did more, it get there the the yeah. carryover the yeah 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 <laughs> carryover from last year that's right that's right a few questions on this. <clears throat> so, if you're romantically interested in somebody, what does it mean to put that person before yourself uh, with, with kind of a basis on honoring God? 
Say that again. So what does it mean to put the person before yourself based on honoring God? Yeah, I think one thing, if, if I'm talking to a young man and he's interested in a girl, I'll ask him, so is, this a, is it the best thing for her spiritually for her to be in a relationship with you at this point in time? I mean, because a lot of times we can be very self-serving, like, what do I get out of this? Is she the right one for me? Mm-hmm. Instead of, am I the right one for her? Or uh, am I the right one for him? And what that does, I think it really focuses you on your character and who am I, what I need to work on, what are they getting out of this? Is the time right for them? Right? Is, is she in a position where that's the best thing for her? And sometimes... You know, and you don't want to be the dude that says, "Well, of course, it's the best thing for her." I mean, <laughs> you know, it's I'm being generous with it's my mean, time. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, um, but I think there is a real, a real sense where, what is she getting out of this? Am I in a position to do what I'm supposed to do, or um, is this the right time for her? Is this the best thing for her? Yeah. Am I the right, the type of guy that she would, she would need? And I would just. Talk to people who know you well. And you, know, you have those people who will tell you what you want to hear. And then the people that you're afraid to ask that might tell you what, to be, what you don't want to hear. And talk to those people about it and see what they think. I will say amen to that. That was going to be my counsel is get some, get some wise counsel. The Bible says in a multitude of counselors, there's safety. So get advice from people who know you well and who are good at relationships or who have a healthy relationship and say, hey, what do I need to work on? How do I pursue this? If, I'm, if, you're, if you're a guy, how do I initiate this in the right way? If you're a girl, to say, how do I, how do I communicate that I'm open to that without yeah. being the dominant, assertive like leader that's yeah. forcing him into a decision? You know, like, just get some counsel on that yeah. um, from somebody that knows you and from somebody that knows the word and yeah. can share wisdom with you. And I'll just make it easy for you. If you're looking at pornography, you're not ready. That needs to be something that is under control. You're not looking at it. And and I would say for about six months, that's when the grip is really gone. So if you're looking at pornography, now's not the time. Um, you don't want to bring somebody into that. And the thing is, you want to do it right. And if you want, um, if you want to have a relationship that's just mutually fulfilling and wonderful, having that stuff taken care of on the front end and being the kind of person to get married, the right kind of person on the front end just makes a world of difference. Yeah. Yeah. How would you say if somebody's wondering am I ready for something like that? Uh Am I ready for a relationship? How do you know? Well, I think for a guy, um, are you responsible to not only take care of your life, but to take care of somebody else's life? Are you somebody who can not only carry your own burdens, but somebody else's burden as well? That's good. So I think that's one thing where, where the part of leadership is, do you have your own act together? Now, if you're not cleaning your room, you don't have your act together, you're not turning assignments on time, and you're looking at porn, you're not ready. Right? But that doesn't mean you can't be ready. I mean, a lot can happen if we're really driven towards that. And I think as far as a, you know, a woman, um, you know, do you understand what you're really getting into, the gravity of a relationship? And knowing that if you submit to this guy and you marry this guy, you are with him for life. And so I think there is like a sobriety and a, um, a reverence for marriage that leads you to be somewhat careful. Like I said, sometimes I think we look at 
be fruitful and multiply, like that's what we need to get to. You know, we're Christians, we can't have sex until marriage, so let's try to get married as soon as possible so we can have sex. Yeah. And what you don't think about is you've got to rule and subdue the earth. And are you equipped to do that calling and then do that with the person and then bring the family? So that's my yeah, advice. Yeah, I think for guys, you need to have a clear direction in your life. Because if you ask a girl to join you and she's like, great, where are we going? You say, I don't know. How are we going to get there? Love I don't know. Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Like, love each other. So I, I think guys need to have a, a, an idea. Not that you have to have everything figured out in a 10 year plan and you have to own a home and have a career established. Like, yeah. go be poor and young and married. I did it. It was a great experience. Helped me grow up, right? Um, so I'm not saying you have to have everything together, but you need to have a clear understanding of what it means to be a man. You need to have a direction. God can always shift that, change that. Yeah. But a man that's aimless and purposeless. How can, a, how can a wife trust that kind of leadership? How can she know that, like you said, how, how, how do I know that he's gonna take care of me and our family if, if he doesn't even take care of his own stuff? So a guy has to grow up. And I think for the girls too, um, something that's really important is, is for the girls, for you to have a relationship with Christ where your security and your approval, your contentment is really in Christ. Because if you're looking for that from a guy, mm-hmm. then even if you get married, that, that's really a kind of idolatry where you're looking to a person for things, ultimate acceptance, ultimate approval, ultimate love, and identity and security. If you haven't found that in Christ, then you're going to demand that from your husband in unhealthy ways. And when he lets you down, not if, it's going to devastate you. So I think for a, a spiritual maturity for a woman, it's going to look like Jesus is supreme in my heart. I know him. I love him. I trust him. Not perfectly. But that's the, that's the foundation. So much so that if this relationship doesn't work out, it's not the end of my life. Yeah. Or if this husband isn't perfect, it's not the end of my life because Jesus is perfect, right? So I think there has to be just a, a, a strong understanding of, of who Jesus is and, yeah. and the place that he has. Like for you to be satisfied in Christ um, is important for your own spiritual health and it's also the greatest gift you can give your, your future husband. Yeah. What would you say to... Um, somebody who's tempted to date an unbeliever. Don't. Yeah, I would say um, what you're attracted to says a lot about you. Right? You wouldn't even think about dating her unless you're attracted to her. Or him, right? Um, so what is it that's attractive? And you kind of go down the list, and it's like, okay, so if they're an unbeliever, you're telling me you're not attracted to the spiritual element at all, or you're willing to do that. And and the deal is, I mean, uh, the Bible clearly says you can marry whoever you want, but only in the Lord. Second Corinthians um, chapter 6 talks about do not be unequally yoked. And that's not necessarily talking about just marriage or dating relationships, but any binding partnership that you're in. Yeah. And, and I think you have to believe that God loves you, that he sent a son to die for you, and the reason why he's giving you this guidance is because he cares about you. Yeah. So you have you have to trust that. Mm-hmm. And if you talk to a woman who's, or a man who's married to an unbeliever, what it what happens is there's inherent tension, where they have to either choose the wife, you know, the, you either choose the wife if you're a believing husband, or the Lord. And what often happens is they have like a compromised relationship with one or the other. Mm-hmm. So they pursue the Lord but the marriage becomes very distant. Or the pursuit of marriage and the relationship with the Lord becomes very distant. That, that's what you're yeah. really looking at. Yeah. 
And you know, for every one case where you know the unbeliever converted, there's a hundred cases of heart. Yeah. And so I, I think you know this person makes you feel special. It's great. Don't play the this is evangelism game. You know, this is missionary dating. They're a pre-Christian. Don't play that game. Um, it's better to be single wishing you're married than married wishing you're single. I mean, that's yes. what it comes down to. And we've done a lot of marriage counseling. We've dealt with a lot of that. You, there's if you if you're lonely now, you don't understand the loneliness you'll feel if you're in a distant marriage. That's right. Yeah, we. There's worse things than being single. Um, singleness is not hell. Yeah. Hell is hell. So yeah. don't look to marriage as your savior. Jesus is your savior, right? So don't be desperate. Um, and, and you were talking this morning about the one flesh relationship. So yeah. there's this deep intimacy in a marriage that's at multiple levels, physical intimacy, but also emotional intimacy. Yeah. But there's also God intends there to be spiritual intimacy. Yeah. You marry somebody who's an unbeliever, you will never have more than two of those engines firing. And when there's not spiritual intimacy, yeah. you actually lose the strongest foundation for the emotional and physical intimacy to be healthy long term. Yeah. So you might have the initial sparks up front, but check in in 10 years, 20 years, see how that's going. Like, it, it, You're never going to have that, the fullness of what God intends for a marriage in terms of the, yeah. the spiritual intimacy fellowship. There's a deep level of fellowship in a Christian marriage that, that yeah. I can't imagine marriage without that component. Um, yeah. And I think good training for that is make really good Christian friends yeah. so you know what it's like. And so you notice like you have good Christian fellowship to talk about the Lord, be encouraged, to be stimulated. And I think a lot of times people marry unbelievers because they haven't really engaged in that type of fellowship and they don't know when it's not there. It's like, yeah. are you a Christian? Well, I'm not a Jew or a Muslim, so I guess I'm a Christian. That's good enough for me, right? That, that's not yeah. the case as opposed to I really just enjoy talking about the Lord with this person. I would argue even with if you're dating a Christian, you need to see can we have that kind of fellowship. Yeah. So yeah. if your dating relationship is watching Netflix – or playing board games, like you're not having real conversations. I mean, it's fine to watch a movie or something, but like you need to make space for real conversations about things that matter. Yeah. To actually get to that level with someone. Yeah. Um, and what, not just entertain yourselves. Yeah. Death. What did you think about the sermon? Simple question. Simple question. Yeah. Yeah. It's not enough just to have a marriage. It's about having a healthy, yeah, God-honoring marriage. Yeah. Yeah. So Dave, you, you told the story of your friend in Hungary. Uh, Greg, is that his name right? Yeah. Greg. And the bridges, right? So yeah. how do you break down bridges from past relationships? So maybe somebody's had a relationship like the one we were sure. just describing, yeah. and they have yeah. that broken bridge. Where do they go from here? Well, I think you have a capacity. I'll, I'll let you go first, and I'll compose my thoughts. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. So 1 Corinthians 6, going to, um, back to 1 Corinthians. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Past tense. That's who you used to be, Paul says. Some of you used to be in, the, in that category, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So I think the place we have to go, first of all, 
yeah. is the gospel and understand that just because you have a, a history of sin, that in Christ, those sins don't have to define you. That there is washing and cleansing that comes through the gospel. And, and there's sanctification. Like there's, there's change um, that takes place through the gospel. So God's mercy yeah. covers our past sins. And there may be difficulties there, but none of those things are insurmountable. Yeah. Think about the Apostle Paul, who talks about formerly I was a blasphemer, but God had mercy on me because I was ignorant. Mm-hmm. And now Paul gets to serve God, and he gets to be an apostle and plant churches, even though he used to persecute Christians. So yeah. the, the gospel story is one of, of drastic transformation. Yeah. Um, so there is hope for that, and there may be difficulties that have to be overcome. And I've done uh, marriage counseling where, where one person had a body count. Um, yeah. And they're bringing all that in. And I've seen situations where that was a major hindrance to the marriage because there's very small faith in the gospel. It just felt like too big a deal to them. I've also seen other situations where they easily moved past that because they had a massive understanding of God's grace, both of them believing strongly in the gospel. Yeah. It doesn't have to undermine a future marriage. It is a, an obstacle to overcome, but it's not insurmountable. Yeah, yeah and I think uh, if you're in a relationship where that's been the case, the command is to flee sexual morality. Yeah. Don't try to redeem the relationship. Um, it's like, don't think you're going to be the exception. If you're in that relationship, end it. It has to be done. Police sexual morality. Get your act together. And then maybe in the future something like that could happen. Yeah. Um, but I do think if you have somebody, if that is you, you need to marry somebody who really understands grace. And that doesn't mean that they've sinned themselves. Yeah. It's just that they have a big picture of grace and they understand that. And you know what? The the right kind of man or woman would say, you know, this is part of your story. You know, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good, and this is what the Lord used to break you and bring you to Him, and I rejoice in that. Right? And so, it is about redemption, and you know, I mean, Paul was killing Christians, right? I mean, they, they you know, Peter betrayed, I mean, betrayed Jesus. I mean, that is, I think you're right, it's just a big gospel understanding. Now, Obviously, you don't want to, uh, and, and you don't want to be self-righteous. If you're dating somebody with that past, you don't want to be self-righteous about it. You've sinned too. Have you thought about it? Have you had opportunity? If you grew up in a different environment, what do you think would have happened to you? So no temptation is overtaken to such as common man. You're capable of the same thing. But I agree. It's just having a robust understanding of the gospel. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. It's like you don't look at your bridge and don't try to cleanse yourself, right? Yeah. You look to Christ and you let Christ cleanse you. And how does Christ regard you? And I think one of the great passages that I take a lot of comfort in is 1 John 2, 1 through 2. Um, it says, My little children, I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. But if anyone does, have, does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Now, assuming that you've truly repented, right? You have an advocate. And if anybody accuses you... Who's standing up for you? Right? And if you're in a relationship and you find out that your girlfriend or your boyfriend has a body count and you start accusing them, right? Who are you siding with? You're siding with Satan. The accuser of the brethren. The yeah. accuser of the brethren. Yeah. Right? So I think if, if you're not ready to extend that kind of grace and you don't have that understanding of the gospel, you may not be ready to date that kind of person. So practically, uh-huh. Obviously, that would be a conversation. If somebody has that past, uh-huh. that'd be a conversation they'd have to have with their future spouse at some point. Yeah. Yeah. When would be the appropriate time to have that conversation? 
Well, I think if you are dating someone who became a Christian in college, just assume this happened, right? And I'd even say, you know, if a guy has, if you're dating a guy, assume you looked at pornography, right? Just assume that there is some sort of sexual sin in there, right? That's a working assumption. Um, I, I would say it just depends. I mean, I would, anytime you, I think you date someone, you want to have somebody who can speak truth into your life and let them kind of let you know when the right time is. If you, if you say it too early, you can kind of create an artificial bond that almost locks somebody in. Like, now that I've shared my secrets with you and I'm burdened, you need to help me carry this burden from now on. And you, you don't, that's not necessarily fair to the other person, especially if you're not sure if you want to be a committed relationship with them. Yeah. But I think there is kind of an inflection point where you think, you know what, we've seen each other long enough, I want to be, you know, I really think this is more than just going on dates, but I'm not going to see anyone, maybe, you know, let's, let's take it to that next year. I don't know, J.D., maybe, maybe at that time. Yeah, I, I think it's different depending on the situation. So yeah. I think at the very earliest, I, there's a guy in my church who, um, has struggled with homosexuality and before, like in the past, and for him, that's so much a part of his story that he feels obligated to even be somewhat open about that if he's pursuing, like he shared this with a girl that he, he dated for a while and did it fairly early in the relationship just he didn't want her to have these surprises later. Okay. And he's like, hey, look, if this is something that is too hard for you to overcome, then I don't want to go through building all this relationship if later you're going to go, oh, if I would have known that, I wouldn't have gone out with you. Yeah. So he's more open on the front end, and there may that may be yeah. wise, it might not be, but that's how he's handled that. I think, at the, I think probably the best time under most circumstances is going to be when you're considering marriage. Maybe you're planning to get engaged, you want to buy a ring, and you're having those kind of talks. Um, I, think, I think you need to be willing to share, not all the gory details, I don't think that's helpful, but just to share the generalities.